Hello and a warm, warm welcome to this, the latest episode of the Wake Up London podcast. This is a celebration. Every episode is a celebration of part of our wonderful community, but this one is something special. This is a continuation birthday podcast for 12 years of Wake Up London. Back in 2010, a group of friends who were visiting Plum Village and were part of the Plum Village community in London were encouraged by monastics to undertake something that had recently been announced by Tignahan and the monastics, which was the young adults part of the Plum Village community worldwide. And the Wake Up International Sangha has been growing ever since. Being 12 years old this week, we thought it would be a good idea to go back and have a look at the formation of the group. What was the inspiration? What were the feelings and thoughts and plans and hopes and dreams? in those early days. So we have a long conversation this episode with Eleanor and Nick, who are two of the founder members who are both in Plum Village at the moment. And I had a call with them a few weeks ago. We also hear sharings from early wake up as Lucy and Katrina and Doran and Ethan about their experiences. We have music this episode from Eleanor Penn aka Little Earth, who recorded a song with me for the first Peace Sounds album. We have a community announcement about what's happening this Saturday night in London to celebrate 12 years. And we close with a track by Joe Riley, who is an American singer-songwriter who became part of the Plum Village community and wrote a song for the movement called Wake Up. We're joined by Kareem talking about spiritual friendship and devotion. And we also have a reading from Lucy about Sangha from Thich Nhat Hanh. You heard a bit of it there to open the programme. This is Peacefully Free by Little Earth. so to our long conversation this week I spent a beautiful hour on an online call with Eleanor Penn and Nick Kenrick two of the founder members of Wake Up London friends who joined in the practice and inspired each other to form the group which you are now a part of or you are 
hearing about and thinking about coming to. Um, yeah, so here you go. Here's a bit of an insight into what it was like in those early days. So dear Nick and Eleanor, thank you so much for being here. It's um, I'm delighted to um, have this time to spend with you. Well, I feel uh, I feel moved to do a sort of um, yeah traditional sort of wake up bow. <laughs> My name's Nick. Uh, I come from the Happy Farm on Upper Hamlet. Um, and uh, my weather right now is kind of sunny and quite excitable, actually. Yeah, so quite excited. I'm a bit nervous. Dear Thai, dear brothers, dear friends, my name is Elena. I'm currently in the Upper Hamlet of Plum Village. And my weather feels like blue clouds. Oh, lovely. <laughs> blue skies and clouds which may be blue or white. Determinate <laughs> <laughs> colour. Yeah. And, um, yeah, moments of sunshine. Mm. Thank you so much. I wonder, Eleanor, if, if I could start with you and if you could just tell me a little bit about um, when Thai and Plum Village came into your life. Mm. After I left university, after I finished university around 21, I... I felt the need to to um, develop my spiritual path more and look for different spiritual groups. So then I was trying out um, different groups in London. I stayed at Amaravati Monastery a few times. And, and then I, I discovered the Heart of London Sangha in 2009 when I was 23. I when the first time I met them was in Hyde Park in a peace walk that they organized for Lat Nha Monastery in Vietnam mm. where there was some trouble there and they wanted to to come together and guess to show their care and concern for what was happening to Thai Sangha in Vietnam and um, that was the first time I met many of them which um, they still remain good friends, like Renica and uh, Philip, Jesse, Emily, and they just really welcomed me. That, in a way that I felt very safe and secure and appreciated. So mm. I, I felt just drawn to coming along on Saturday mornings and mm. and being with this new community that really, quite quickly felt like. Um, very lovely group of friends and they were also organizing Thai's visit the, that was happening the year after so then I found it a very easy way to also get more involved with, with them. I think I felt the warm welcome in the beginning was such a key thing for me to to feel like this is my community. That I want mm, to lovely well thank you. Um, Nick how about you what was your what was your connection to Thai and the Sangha and how did that come about? I think it grew from a background of a, a long-standing interest in, in meditation from being 15 or 16 years old. Mm. And when I, when I look back on that, I feel a little embarrassed really to say like that 
my first reasons for being interested in meditation were very much sort of from a sort of self-improvement space, a sort of mind training space to make my mind somehow more capable, better. As I, as I moved through my 20s and I took on a very intense job in, in foreign affairs and working on the war in Iraq in particular, being based in the Middle East, um, increasingly I had this need to, to touch peace in my life and I, I didn't know how to do it really know it was uh burning inside me and i hadn't really found my way with meditation and my my mother had given me some books by thai and interestingly like not not the most accessible ones <laughs> she gave me you know thundering silence a sutra commentary on the better way to, to catch it <laughs> which which now i absolutely love i was rereading the commentary recently but at the time was was not my way in and, and she gave me present moment wonderful moment and sort of book of gathers and and again, this didn't really sort of transmit into me, but I became aware of Plum Village and that it existed. I knew about it. And as my time was coming to an end in the Middle East, I thought, wow, I really need some time out. And I, I wrote to Plum Village and said, could I just come and join you guys for the winter? And they said, absolutely, yes. And then I was offered this very tempting job to join the inquiry into the Iraq war. I thought, oh, well, I can't turn that down. I, I did that. And I didn't go to Plum Village. But a year later, Thai and the monastics came to the UK. And again, my mother, you know, goodness me, thank goodness, my ancestors, mm. my mother in particular, <laughs> um, she spotted this and said, oh, there's a talk in London. Do you want to go? And there's a retreat. And uh, I said, absolutely. And I signed up for that. So my first contact with the community was, was that talk, but more particularly the retreat. And mm. the retreat absolutely changed my world um there were three key ways it did that which were, were meeting thai um, meeting the younger monastics feeling very connected to them and uh in the first instance reading the first of the 14 mindfulness trainings and i felt i feel safe with these people mm. i had a sense of feeling at home mm. i thought right i have found what i'm looking for um, this is my place mm. thank you so it sounds like you were both, I guess as many people that come to the Sangha were kind of looking for something and then finding, kind of finding a home and both, you both mentioned about feeling safe and welcome. Do you remember when you went and met each other? I have a first memory of Eleanor, which actually is at one of the, the dining tables in Treaton, Nottingham. And, and because I hadn't originally been part of the wake up program there, because it was advertised as being 18 to 30 year olds and I, and I was 32, so I hadn't signed mm. up for a registration form. And then when I got there, it's just a, it's just a hint here, but I'm like, hey, come and join, wake up. I was like, what is that really? Do I, you know, do I want to, I don't know what it is, but sure. Okay, you seem nice. Um, <laughs> and I joined, wake up. But because of that administrative site, I wasn't in the same accommodation block. I didn't realize all the wake uppers were in Sherwood. So I spent most of the retreat in a different accommodation block, joining the wake up activities. And finally, towards the end, I realized, oh, they're all over there. And I, my first memory, concrete memory of Eleanor is at the uh, dining table in Sherwood. I've got a, a mental picture of her sitting there. How about you, Eleanor? Do you remember? My, my more, my vivid memory of Nick was actually towards the end um, when we were, when the monastics, Brother Fatlin, Sister Hingham, gathered everyone together, all the young wake-uppers, the young mm -hmm. people, to find ways in which we can build the movement to build more wake-up communities um, around the UK. And I, I remember Nick kind of reluctantly coming forward <laughs> to say, I, I perhaps have 
enough responsibility in my life, but I I could help in some way, but not too much. And like this kind of reluctance to to help, but I I could also feel that he wanted to. Mm. Um, so yeah, the, the, uh, that was my vivid memory of Nick. Yeah. yeah, I remember Nick quite vividly in, in that time. Um, the one who was kind of stepping forward to 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 kind of lead the way, but in a reluctant way. Madly <laughs> reluctant way. <laughs> Yeah, maybe we could talk a bit about those. Um, so, of course, wake up, wake up, London. Um, now, yeah, now you know, going strong every every Saturday and has done for over a decade. What were the, what were the early days of that like? So, to set the context, the heart of London, as you mentioned, Eleanor, was already meeting on a Saturday at the Quaker House in Westminster, and there was a kind of um, emergence of an idea that that there would there could be a space, a wake up space. It would happen in the afternoon on Saturdays. Do you want to talk a bit about the beginnings of that or when that was suggested and how that started? Mm. So that was, yeah, when we huddled together at the Nottingham retreat to come up with the next step, I, because I had already been to the heart of London, mm. Sangha, I just knew that they, they had their afternoon space um, free in the same room that they met. Um, they used it sometimes, but I, I knew most of the time it was free. And I knew that there were some members of Heart of London, like Renika, who were keen to support Wake Up. So I, I imagined that they, like if we came to them with a request, they would be supportive. Mm. Um, so then I can't remember who, who wrote to who, maybe Nick followed up with that, mm. and connected with, um, the CTC, the caretaking team of Heart of London. And since then, we were able to use their afternoon space, the Elizabeth Fry Room, for free, for I think rent-free for two years. Mm, um, good deal. We were, yeah, very much. <laughs> and then we were able to just use all of their uh, mats and cushions, centerpiece items, like um, the Buddha statues or mm. very beautiful materials. So, we were very lucky to to have just have everything there was uh, a key factor in our in our success i think to, mm. to have really secure foundation of a space and all the resources and also supportive members from the elder the older group and i know that perhaps other wake up groups may not have had those conditions or may not have those conditions so easily yeah, I feel very grateful again to to the heart of London. Mm. Can Can I ask Nick what were your early memories of those days? Um, so the, the, the you know there's two kind of key questions to to begin with of what did we actually want to do when we met up and where were we going to meet up and I I remember putting together an email group and asking people to say what practices did they want to do mm. important to them and you know for some like walking meditation is very important for some sitting for some sharing and, and it was sort of like from first principles I've never been to a sangha meeting <laughs> I didn't know what this was going to look like and my recollection is we had 17 people who were in or around London on that first email list and our aim was to get a meeting together in the, in the first month and um, as Eleanor said you know we had this awareness of the heart of London I'd never been 
But I remember going along for the first time and after the first session talking to them and saying, yeah, you know, um, can we use all your stuff? (laughs) 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 Um, And and they they were fabulous. They were so welcome. Mm. Lots of conditions to fall into. And uh, since then, you know, learning about how to wake up sangers, I see like what a difference it makes having a regular reliable location, you know, you, you, to like minimize the uncertainty. It's, it's something you can count on. It's always in the same place. Um, and those early day meetings, I know it was great. So, you know, we didn't have any idea what we were doing. And so we were, we were all just taking it turns to facilitate. There'd just be one facilitator. We weren't doing it as a pair at that time. I don't think we had greeters to begin with. And our numbers were sort of, I don't know, sort of eight to 10 on average early on. So, it, which is already kind of quite a nice group. But it was entirely up to the facilitator. You know, we we knew broadly what people wanted, so it would always be some sitting, some walking. But early on, you know, somebody might facilitate some eye-gazing exercises or or something else. And it was, um, it had this kind of sort of creativity, which which was wonderful. And it's still, I still don't really kind of know how to think about the sort of balance between openness and creativity and, and the benefit of solidity and predictability. Because mm-hmm. um, over time, you know, what happened is we, we looked at what Heart of London were doing and think we moved more and more towards that. Um, and early on, we would have people who would bring in other teachings from other teachers. Uh, so we had this question, you know, what, what's included in the space and what isn't? Because we're in this very inclusive tradition and we weren't quite sure how to manage boundaries to be. Mm. You know, what happens if people come in late? You know, we want to be open and inclusive and things like that. And I'd say the, for, for me, like, I think the, it solidified really clearly after about two years and particularly when we went weekly um to begin with it was fortnightly but there was this period of experimentation of feeling out different structures and then i remember a point we came to some quite clear decisions in the caretaking group of we will only offer teachings by Tina Han, not because we discriminate against any other teacher but simply you know wake up is um a continuation of, of plum village and Tina Han's mm. movement so it's that that's the food we offer so just all those things that in, in some ways, you know, might seem obvious that we take for granted now, like actually what teachings do you draw on? We were figuring all that stuff out as we as we went along. So it was quite dynamic, quite creative, quite fresh. But what happened over time was we also really built the stability and clarity of purpose mm. that I think created an increasingly stable container. Yeah, sometimes I miss the kind of freshness and experimentation, but the benefits of having that stability and that consistency and what that allows for are just huge. And you can always have creative offshoots off that. Mm. It can always happen as well. Yeah, thank you. Eleanor, I wanted to ask you about the um, about the flash mobs because this was. Yeah, some people listening will have come to wake up because of those, um, and, and many then st- stayed on. And there was a point, like you said, then like it was every other week to start, and then it, it kind of crossed over. And I think maybe it kind of happened around the same time, but there was a at some point there was a, a big increase in the number of people who were coming to wake up. But a little bit before that, maybe if I'm right in thinking this, that the, the flash mobs were quite a significant moment for people and how that idea came about. Yeah, sure. Um, so when I when I started to get involved with Wake Up London, I 
I guess I discovered a side of me that hadn't really been mm. um, flour hadn't flourished yet, which was okay. um, yeah, this organizing side, this kind of um, uh, like I started to help with the website and social media, and mm. I guess Wake Up London gave me this opportunity to to be creative, um, which I hadn't done in my um, in my I guess my job outside of Sangha um, and um, yeah, the, the Wake Up London caretaking team just gave me all this kind of freedom to <laughs> do what I like, um, Go crazy. But, but, but still checking in uh, very mm. regularly. So um, yeah, and I, I discovered <laughs> that I, um, I just felt this kind of passion to, to share about wake up London and also to share about the practice mm. and um, I remember it, it was maybe the seed came the seed for the flash mob idea came when um, Brother Fat Blue an American monk um, in the Plum Village tradition who's now mm. he was in Plum Village but now he's in Deer Park Monastery I think mm. um, I think there was just this conversation where he was talking about the idea of sitting in a front, in the in a shop window in the front, sitting in meditation. Mm. Um, so that it was this very direct way to to um, share about the practice and also have this um, very peaceful um, display um, that could influence the environment. Mm. So when. So when passers by see this, uh, have this very um, peaceful effect, and um, and then I saw something similar happened with a yoga group who actually did the first flash mob um, in Trafalgar Square, and mm -hmm. um, they they did these sun salutations in Trafalgar Square, and uh, I saw that happening, I think in a video maybe. Um, on social media and and then that that made me feel like we could do the same with meditation um and so i think the first one was in 2011 and but in the lead up to that i created a facebook event i had no idea it was going to go up to like 500 or something <laughs> to attend and wonderful uh, wonderful yeah, it, was, it seemed like this um, event that that really it's a cool one. Right, right. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Like I had no idea that that was there was an interest out there. So mm. um, I remember my, some of my workmates came along because went to the practice too and. I just remember seeing, I think it was at 6.30 and I was so nervous to sit down, but they were like, go on, go on, <laughs> encouraging me. Um, and yeah, I sat down, invited the bell and then. How many people just, were there, Eleanor, at that one? It felt like a few hundred, maybe. Yeah, it filled, yeah. the, filled the whole square. Wow. Um, I just closed my eyes the whole time, but then when <laughs> I, I opened it. Um, around after like 40 minutes mm. there was just this like huge I felt like it was a huge number sitting around me how did so that feel it felt amazing mm. 
it felt just very um it felt exhilarating but very peaceful at the same time because mm. this the energy that is created um with that number of people sitting um feels feels wonderful mm. I, want, I want to share a couple of memories from that one one is the builder um because i I remember the emails uh, that were exchanged <laughs> before, and I remember opening my, my email inbox, and there's a message from Eleanor saying, I'm thinking about creating this, this flash mob meditation event, you know, sort of, what does anyone think? And, and, and she also had her next message below that, I think, before anyone replied, and, and the next one said, I've just gone ahead and done it, and kind of put it up on, on Facebook, and it's up there. And I, I had um, such a feeling of respect and admiration, actually. And it's um, one of my one of my minor life missions is actually to at every opportunity to continue to water um, and the seeds of, of confidence because I, I found I thought it was an extraordinarily brave thing to do. I wouldn't have, have, have done it. I, we have confidence in kind of different areas and. And my, my perception of, of Eleanor, she, she had the conference to do this as a sort of original thing. And she'd put these things up on the internet. And, um, and you know, face-to-face -face sometimes, you, you know, Eleanor could be so self-effacing, so, or when sort of shy, but sort of on the internet, you know, in my mind, she was like sort of 10 miles high. She was sort of massive <laughs> presence and sort of known, like organizing these, these extraordinary things. Um, so I remember these emails, which is, oh, you know, let's put it up, we're going to do it. I was like, oh my gosh. And, and I remember coming along, it was a sunny evening in Trafalgar Square. Uh, I came from work, I was still working in the foreign office at that point, having a suit and pink shirt. I think I remember that. I think it was a video, <laughs> a pink shirt, <laughs> looking somewhat peaceful. Um, and uh, it was stunning. It really opened my eyes as well to mm. what can happen if you put a positive energy out there into the public mm. space. You just don't know what you're going to resonate with because mm. so much of our experience is private. But it can be that that instinct we have that is quite wholesome or hopeful or whatever is existing in thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people out there. Mm. And it just needs a kind of right spark. And there's this resonance, you know, like the sound of the bear that ripples out. And suddenly you've got 500 people sitting down in the middle of Trafalgar Square because mm. it strikes that chord and it is like a bell in itself spreading out. Mm. very beautiful lesson um, yeah wonderful in change yeah. um and that um i'm right in thinking that that brought a lot more people to wake up london did it because well, i kind of came into the fold around that time and there was a point where it went there was a decision to take it weekly wasn't there yeah def mm. definitely some people found their way in through the through the flash mobs and yeah I've got an early memory of seeing you, Joe, coming into the into the realm. You're right. Yeah, early, early images of that. And I remember that when you came, it was still fortnightly. That's right. And uh, and I I remember the decision in the caretaking team to go weekly. And I remember there was some anxiety within the caretaking team as to whether we had the capacity yet, whether we could sustain it. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, I thought we should just go for it. Oh, <laughs> mm -hmm. we, we you know we just went for it, and within a month it was completely it was the right decision and, and yeah. even more solid because you no longer have to remember which Saturday it is it's just another thing that just adds yeah. solidity and reliability um, that, was a, that was a big moment for us where I really felt we moved into another level of solidity um, mm. meetings and by that point I'd say we were regularly into the sort of 20s in terms of numbers you know, yeah. 20s. Um, 
yeah, they, those from that time probably remember me as an obsessive number counter. I really, really wish count. <laughs> How many people each session? I maintain my spreadsheets and projections of uh, what room space we would need in six months. Actually, growing at this rate. Um, yeah. yeah. I think we also started paying rent. Like that sounds right. Yeah. 2013 which was also very healthy for us yes yeah yes. healthy thing to know that you've got the energy to sustain you can sustain yourselves mm. uh, it's a kind of growing up thing it was important mm. that we did that mm. um, and and the, the capacity was absolutely there we noticed sometimes if we were running a bit low or collections have been a bit low you know if we said you know these are our rental needs and we've been a bit low, like whoosh, it would go straight up. Mm. There was no question that people valued it and wanted to support it when they, they understood the mm. sanguineness. Yeah. yeah, it was a big transition. More from Eleanor and Nick shortly. Meanwhile, his four sharings from four of those early wake-uppers. This is Katrina, Lucy, Ethan and Doran. Yeah, so early, early memories of Wake Up. Um, I have very many of those and very many really warm ones. And um, I think the very first one that stands out is very much the very first meeting we had, which was just over 12 years ago um, in September of 2010. And it's just etched into my mind um, of stepping into the friends meeting room, the same one that Wake Up London meets in today and just seeing um, other young people uh, in a circle gathering around and then practicing together for the first time off the back of going to Plum Village to a Wake Up retreat um, there for the first time and uh yeah basically this sense of um a whole new world opening up um a world in which uh, other young people were interested in mindfulness and a different way of being and living and it wasn't strange for being interested in that and yeah just the sense of uh friendship and warmth and connectedness and this real desire to practice and to explore and to learn. Um, so I remember that as a very, very exciting and bright time and really healing after practicing alone for a little while on my own. Um, yeah, just this real warm, feeling and memory of gathering in fairly small groups at that time of 8, 10, 15 of us and every Saturday uh, turning up to wake up knowing that you'd see friends and familiar faces. Uh, I treasure these memories and this time and I'm so happy to know that Wake Up uh, London continues to thrive as it does today. I've enjoyed a little trip down memory lane 12 years ago to the start of uh, London Wake Up and it's also very inherently connected to the start of my connection with Thai and with Plum Village as uh, we'd just been to um, Nottingham to the UK 
retreat in 2010. And I remember the moment that uh, in this uh, large room, everyone started to stand up and everybody stopped their conversations. And then in walks this very small, well, not very small, but a, uh, unassuming brown-robed man who came in and uh, I suppose because you've heard so much about him, I'd read his books, that uh, you almost imagine that he's going to come in, you know, uh, flying <laughs> rocket behind him, a great aura of light around him, but uh, just very simple, you know, and uh, but just the reverence in the room was tangible and uh, I don't know, I, I've heard other people say this, that there always there feels like a familiarity, I, I felt when I met him. Same feeling when I first went to Plum Village, just a feeling of coming home. Um, and on retrospect, I would like to think that it's a feeling of coming home to myself. So we had the uh, week or maybe five days retreat, met some very inspiring people, um, and uh, on the last day, I remember we sang uh, Dear Friends and Around. And then I, th I don't remember who actually said it, but it was like the vi general vibe was we've we got to keep this going, haven't we? And uh, who's interested in, in keeping it going? And I'd already met a few people who were from London or the south of England. And uh, I think my... A really overwhelming memory of that time was that it was so obvious that we were going to continue this this amazing uh, experience, our journey with the Sangha. And of course we would, and we would make it happen, and uh, it, it was not anything that was ever questioned. It wasn't, oh, I don't know, can we fit this into our schedule? It was just, it was going to happen. And, um, yeah, it just, my memory is that it just was so simple. And uh, maybe that's credit to the wonderful Heart of London Sangha, who probably, there was probably quite a bit of work that went on behind the scenes. So I apologise if my memory is, is uh, rather naive, but it was just sort of one step in front of the other, very motivated by um, love, I would say, a real strong desire to... Uh, keep this sort of precious family that we'd started to build, to keep this family going. Really, that's the main thing I wanted to, to say of my memory was that it was, it was going to happen and, and it did very, very smoothly. And it was a sort of build it and they will come and then more and more friends started to join us. Hey Joe, thanks for asking. So um, I think the first wake up meeting I, I went to was probably like the second one after it started or something and before that I'd been going along to the heart of London but to be honest you know like especially the sharings it wasn't like so relatable so I was really happy that there was finally um, something for younger people and um, you know it was quite a small group I think like you know eight would be a good turnout and uh, there were some weeks where I think Nick was just in there, you know, practicing, sitting and slow walking all on his own. But, you know, there were a few of us who were pretty steady with with coming along. Something that was, like, important to me, I think, from listening to 
Thai speak on on YouTube videos and things was this idea of building a community and I was really keen that we we like go out for dinner afterwards which I think I had to ask a few times before that started happening but um it did and then it was lovely and it kind of brought in a different dimension of of I guess a more informal community um or a more like light-hearted way of connecting that kind of um I think began to grow more friendships between us rather than just people who came to to practice together and um yeah, I remember in the early days, Ella and Nick were really, um, like, providing the consistency and the energy for the, the group. Um, I think I was, like, quite shy at that point, so, you know, Nick began asking me, oh, do you want to facilitate, do you want to facilitate? And, you know, I really didn't, but <laughs> eventually I, I agreed, and... Um, yeah, it was kind of nice to feel like, oh, that was something I could do and could contribute. And um, yeah, also in those early days, you know, we had we were quite lucky because the monastics were coming to visit quite often and provide that kind of input. And that was like kind of beautiful. I think watered a lot of like seeds of aspiration in us all. But really, in those early days, we were pretty clueless. Like, I don't think any of us really knew that much about Plum Village or or Thai. And, you know, a lot of the sessions, even, we were bringing in other teachers and just doing our best to kind of engage in our own practice and, like, learn what the Sangha meant and what it could be. Um, It was kind of interesting, because I think as we started going to more retreats and learning more about that tradition, like, the Sangha started becoming... I guess more more plum village um and I think um you know perhaps more stable as the depths of our own practice sort of began to came in come in that's it really i I have some very beautiful memories from those early days also of just traveling to retreat together. you know I remember one time it was like the first Nottingham retreat after you know wake up had started. And um, on the way back together, there was like maybe six or seven of us who who travelled in the train down, just enjoying each other's company. And I remember like another kind of young guy on the train, you know, came up to us and was like, you know, what's going on with you guys? Have you been on like a music festival or something? And we were like, no, we've been on a mindfulness retreat. <laughs> um, you know, and I think that happens when you like go as a sangha you know, the the vibes are clear. Something different is going on here and people are kind of drawn to it. Yeah, I've been interested in Buddhism for a number of years and I was looking for the tradition that felt right for me and I encountered one, one of Thay's books, Heart of the Buddha's Teaching, and then, yeah, really connected with just how warmly and compassionately he was talking about suffering and happiness. So I started to go to the heart of London. I think I was going maybe 
one year or two years or something like that. And um, yeah, occasionally I would meet younger people there, but it was mostly an older crowd and yeah, just being in the flow of the practice there and the beautiful simplicity that they have in the practice at the heart of London. Um, but then, yeah, one afternoon, Nick Kenrick, he turned up and then announced that he'd been at a retreat in Nottingham and Ty and the monastics had announced this idea of wake up, of starting Sangha specifically for younger people. So there were a group of them who'd come from the retreats, uh, Nick, Eleanor, um, a few others, I think, maybe, maybe Lucy, who lives down here in Brighton now. And yeah, so then we started to host Wake Up London uh, in the same space in the Quaker House at Hop Gardens. And yeah, it was just really beautiful to have our own space to practice and to explore our own relationship to the practice. Um, a lot of energy. Um, but yeah, there was also a lot of holding by people to keep the keep the continuity of the Sangha. I know, um, uh, yeah, I know Nick and Rick was very involved in supporting the Sangha and also, yeah, people bring a lot of the realness of their experience. Um, yeah, so I know there's a famous story of Nick's determination to practice and to continue the Sangha that he would he just made this commitment to turn up and to hold the Sangha, even if there was no one else. And I think he did actually have at least one session where it was literally only him. <laughs> yeah, it was quite a small Sangha for quite some time. Definitely remember the arrival of Joe with the songs and natural expression of Plum Village energy. And, and yeah, I remember Eleanor as well and her yeah, growing in the practice and, um, yeah, deciding to start with the flash mobs and everything that that led to, how much of a just yeah, incredible opening of the Sangha. Yeah, her, her courage to just go into public spaces like Trafalgar Square and to hold these flash mobs, which people in London really connected with, with a lot of curiosity and interest and that really yeah allowed wake up london to make its presence known to other groups who were practicing in that way and also just yeah to other people in london who were interested in that and and then yeah just an incredible snowballing of that yeah through a lot of eleanor's efforts to publicize to talk about wake up london in I remember speaking in, or having an interview in one magazine that was published, all these different ways of spreading. Yeah, the fact that Wake Up was here in London and available, and yeah, I guess the word of mouth spreading from, from the flash mobs. And then I remember Ty also came to London and did a huge sit in Trafalgar Square. So yeah, all this incredible energy that was building and then the, the size of wake up just 
exploded massively after that. It became a completely different community as it grew in that way. If, if we if we yeah. if we if we look now like from 2022 um it's healthy it's running every week and there's been i mean from an email list of of 17 at the beginning it's up to like you know towards 2000 and mm. and you know thousands of people have come through that space over the years which you know i'm personally so thankful to you both for and and i just wanted to ask you what do you think it is about the space that is bringing new people all the time and what's what need is being met there do you think in young people and actually you're both in plum village right now just off the back of the wake up um summer retreat which was the first one for a couple of years in person and um yeah so i don't know if we can tie that into the answer as well but i mean i don't know if i can speak on behalf of many young people but my feeling is that Wake Up London is special in offering a space led by young people um, and offers this space for, for young people to share about things that um, we can relate to, um, that young people can relate to together. And, um, and it feels like a, a group of friends also kind of coming together and organizing things. I think for me, we didn't really know what we were doing in the beginning. I think we were facilitating for the first time. I, I have a massive fear in public speaking, um, yet I became quite a regular facilitator in front of people, in front of maybe up to 30, 40 people in those mm. spaces. And I think it gave me a chance to discover other parts of myself that I could, that I felt felt safe enough to to show in front of people who are also in a similar stage of life who are mm. also doing new things like this for the first time and so it, it gave me this courage and um, inspiration to to try these things out and feel supported and it's okay to make mistakes as well and so it just felt this yeah this this sense of love in the space because um, we were all volunteering, um, we all felt this inspiration to to uh, build this sangha, and we always invite people to get involved as well. I feel that there's a there's a interest from from young people to to be part of something, to be mm -hmm. to be part of a community, which may not be so easy to feel in such a big city as well, mm -hmm. and to have a chance to. Uh, develop ways in which they can take care of themselves and mm. to feel the support of a community of friends who are also who also have the aspiration to do the same and not to to say that um, it's like not helpful to have older people too we always encourage um, our young friends in the space to to also attend the heart of london Sangha mm -hmm. mornings um, but having a, a special space for the young people can, I think, gives them, can give a lot more room for creativity, maybe, and to explore without perhaps having um, 
maybe you worry of doing things wrong, which I don't know. Uh, I think some, maybe the presence of older people perhaps triggers my feeling of being in front of my parents mm. and mm. <laughs> making mistakes. But somehow being among young people feels like we're doing this together, we're learning together. Mm. Thank you, Alina. Yeah. Nick, do you have any reflections on on that? Yeah. So much kind of um goodness in the sort of um transmission from Tikna that's it's kind of given rise to wake up the yeah, there's so much I could say. But I think maybe the most important word for me is it was actually is wholeness is what I experienced in coming to the Sangha and for me, that stage of life had been so dominated by trying to do something, trying to be something, trying mm -hmm. to know something. So much of that, which meant the way I connected with other people, the way I related with other people was, you know, actually not very whole. It was leaving certain things out that weren't fitting with what I was trying to be, what I was trying to do, what I was trying to know. Um, and the, the, the wake-up space, the plumbing space, I think, was how I learned to experience a much greater wholeness and actually realized that all those things that I'd been maybe just pushing aside or that didn't kind of quite fit with what I was trying to be, what I was trying to know, what I was trying to do, were there in other people and were fine. It was okay. Mm -hmm. And I could bring all of that into that space. And it had a transformative effect on my sense of loneliness, which had been in the background of my life up to that point, kind of quite strong in some way. So like, I don't know how consciously I've recognized it, um, but the, the space did an enormous amount to alleviate loneliness, which I came to see was something I created myself mm. by not sharing myself fully, not being able to be whole with others. And in that space, I found it was possible. Um, and the sharing space is so magical for that. But also the, the mere act of sitting in peace, in stillness with other people, for me, gave rise to a tremendous sense of fellowship. I'm not alone. There are so many other souls, people, energies that I can relate to that are in this same world with me in this same way. Mm. And maybe I'm not even separate from them, but somehow does feel to me like it's a part of the same consciousness now. Mm. And there's something tremendously relieving in that. Mm. Um, the, the, the gentle dissolution of my, my separateness. Mm. Yeah. The, um, I wanted to ask you both to say a little bit now um, about where you are now. So you've both been in Plum Village for some time and um, how does that feel? And yeah, to be in that kind of, I don't know if you're talking in terms of chapters, like a next, the next chapter of moving from, from London and being there for some time. Um, you both have, yeah, interesting relationships to it. Eleanor, you've been working there for a while, haven't you? Maybe we could start with you. You've been... Yes, so it's been five years, over five mm. years. I've been um, working in the registration office um, for the Upper Hamlet and... Um, it's felt like this natural progression of my path, I guess, mm -hmm. um, from discovering the London Sangha and then um, going to Plum Village 
more and more often mm. um, and then spending months there and, and then um, when they offered me a position in 2017 I felt my heart singing because Aww. it was this, um, yeah and I, I I also finished a job so I just felt completely open to mm. to anything <laughs> and it just felt completely right to spend more time in Plum Village and just be living in this environment and so it has been a, a wonderful five years also with its challenges to especially perhaps in the last couple of years of the lockdown and helping the um the upper hamlet sangha navigate through covid and um with the procedures and then um it's been very eventful i guess um, there's never a dull day but <laughs> it's <laughs> <laughs> I can also see how we we do things as a sangha, and we sometimes I get so stressed and feel quite responsible, and then I I can kind of realize it's okay. We've got this as a as a sangha. I don't have to feel alone in in my sense of responsibility. Um, you get to meet very lots of people that pass through as well, and. Mm-hmm. Um, see how they develop and then to also have it's been special having wake up london friends come here as well like kata who started the app um and then kareem has been here kareem manji mm-hmm. um, now nick and so and then yeah there's robbie who's also here from mm-hmm. the wake up london ctc um yeah, so it, it feels like my two worlds coming together in, in that way to, to have um, friends from London here. Mm. Um, and just also being able to support people who, like friends from London, to be able to be here. So mm. living here and working here felt like my, um, was an expression of this aspiration that um, felt very whole to, to, to be here. Yeah, lovely. Thank you, Eleanor. Mm. And Nick, would you like to just share a few words about about your current yeah current place there? Yeah, it's been a real evolution for me. Um, I've seen you know being part of this practice and this tradition for for twelve years now. Mm. I've gone through so many different um, kind of roles, relationships to it, and I start to see this sort of. Um, Almost this musical chairs aspect of life that you know sometimes I'm sitting in the chair where I can really offer something and I can mm. feel like I'm offering something and I can support someone and sometimes I'm in the other chair <laughs> where I, I'm desperately needing support mm. and uh, I'm taking refuge in Sangha and I don't know what I'm doing I'm lost and I sort of I think in the back of my mind I used to have this idea that gradually you sort of more and more solidify yourself in the chair that sort of you know, got <laughs> suffering less somehow, got more to <laughs> offer. <laughs> and now <laughs> it's kind of not quite how I see it. And I, I see a sort of continual flow that, you know, day by day, hour by hour, you know, my place in the ecosystem is is, is moving and changing. Mm. And I experience the organic aspect of, of Plum Village, um, these energies circulating around the whole time. And it's much, much harder to define actually who I think I am, what I'm doing. And, and I'm much <laughs> more able to just sort of just 
<laughs> open myself to the flow of what's happening and trust that even when I sort of don't know what's going on. <laughs> but if there's, you know, a critical energy of, of intention and awareness, then it will, you know, kind of carry you in a trustworthy direction. Um, in some kind of more concrete terms, I, I, I think over time, my relationship to what I actually kind of want from the practice or I'm looking from it or from Plum Village has, has changed. In, mm. My aspiration has, has deepened, I think, in the way that Thai intended, and which I hadn't quite expected, um, which is a, a necessarily sort of deeper opening to, to suffering. <laughs> Okay. And, a, and a wish to be with that in supportive ways. Um, in the, there's a there's a practice song here called the Map of the Mind, um, and, and, and the words are the Map of the Mind is mine. I can choose. I can choose where I wish to be. To be. Mm. Both heaven and hell, I know equally well. The choice is up to me. Mm. And I used to hear those words. And I thought, oh right, great. You know, as you practice, you get insight into conditions that give rise to heaven, conditions give rise to hell. You just used to be in heaven the whole time. <laughs> and um, actually, I, I, I take it now as an increasing sense of ease in moving between and around what we think of as heaven and what we think of as, as hell. Mm. And if someone is suffering in a, in a hell realm, you know, they're in intense suffering, I don't necessarily support them by sort of, you know, sitting comfortably in heaven and sort of beaming a sort of benign smile at them and say, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry you're, you're down there I'm suffering. You know, well, I'm up here, I'm fine. Um, it's more a sort of willingness to go down and just be, to meet them wherever they are and go, mm. oh yeah, I'm actually, I'm down here too. You know, I never left. It's fine. It's sort mm. of a, I see the practice now is sort of gradually developing a sort of freedom of movement pass where I can sort of move in and out of heaven and in and out of mm. hell, depending on what's useful and what's called for. Um, because there is conflict in the world that's that's not just sort of going to disappear and I, I deeply aspire to bring something useful to that so when I come to Plum Village I no longer look to be in a place that's free of conflict or free of suffering it's, this is a refuge where oh none of that's here but more that it's all here but at a level where you have a chance to see its nature more clearly mm. a chance to retrain your habits and reactions to respond in a kind and more compassionate way that can bring more to that situation um so that you know when i leave plum village i can go fully back out into those situations without losing my peace um mm. but more and more move towards being able to be peace in that situation um so when 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 take that hand says you know the, the the promised land the pure land the kingdom of god these are not places where there's no suffering. These are places where people know what to do with suffering and how mm. to be with it. And I feel more and more in touch with that and less and less need to want to get rid of suffering, be free of it, but more wish to be with it in a loving, peaceful way um, so that I can continue to, to do that for as long as I'm around for. Um, mm. There's been a real deepening of that, that wish in me. Mm, thank you. Well, Eleanor and Nick, thank you, thank you, thank you. It's been so lovely to spend time with you and to, um, yeah, be able to, I think, give people listening who haven't met you and people that are missing you very much here in London um, the chance to hear your voices and just to, um, yeah, to be in those stories and feel the continuation, I think, of what of what was started. 
all those years ago. So, yeah, thank you very much. Thank you, Joe. Good day. Thank you, Eleanor. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, Lucy. Thanks, Katrina. Thank you, Ethan. And thank you, Doran, for your memories and your insights there. So, community announcements. If you're in London this Saturday, we'll be celebrating 12 years of Wake Up London. You'd be very welcome to come along in the afternoon. We have Sangha as usual from 2.30 to 5. And then from 6 until 9, we have our 12-year be-in. Going to be hosted by myself and Lizu. We will be encouraging people to come and listen to the many sharings that we hope will come from the community. Let me read you what we sent out as a mail out. Dear Wake Uppers, 12 years, many mindful breaths, footsteps, words, hugs, songs and stories. This Saturday we will celebrate with a be-in, Plum Village style. Think open mic without the mic. Bring your sharings, your current favourite poem, that song you've been learning, that joke you'd love to have an audience for, the story of joy that you just can't keep to yourself, the instrument which keeps looking at you from your wardrobe. All sharings are welcome. We'll do our best to fit them in, so maybe see you. Right through his life, Thich Hans' aspiration has been to build community. As a young monastic, seeing the devastation of the war in Vietnam, he brought together volunteers to support the relief effort. And it was their sense of community of supporting each other and having a practice and a code of ethics that helped them to do what they were doing in severely adverse conditions. His later exile to America brought him in contact with Martin Luther King. And the two shared conversations in Martin Luther King's words about the beloved community. And later, after when being offered land in France, Tignahan came to found Plum Village as we know it today. Lucy here is reading from an excerpt of one of Ty's books, all about Sangha, the Buddhist word for community. And before it, Kareem shares about his experiences of spiritual friendship in the early days of Wake Up. I was really inspired by seeing a lot of young people, not just a few, and yeah, seeing them kind of closely connected with the monastics and just really getting a sense of this culture of like, yeah, youth and practice and their connection with the monastics. And I was blown away, I think, by... I never met other young practitioners, first of all, and then there's like this dedication and a sense of them being very rooted in the practice. And so I was blown away by, yeah, the frequency of consistency and just the sense of community that they were building. Um, and then when I met folks at the, the, the first wake-up retreat I went to, which was at Sister Hinium's house as part of that tour, there was a, there was a retreat there. Um, I was very, very inspired by a lot of people there and everyone was very welcoming invited me to come. I was very shy, but eventually a couple of months later I, I showed up. And I, what I wanted to say 
earlier was yeah when 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 Thai um, when Thai transitioned I was very nostalgic about that time those very early days and just remembering yeah that early formation and its simplicity and its consistency how much um, kind of fire and aspiration there was there actually and really s having the sense of like you know devotion inspiration for this way of life for this practice and really um yeah putting all our hearts into it and supporting each other and really just in those early stages of discovery and how we integrated into london life and and there was like the real you know buddings of spiritual friendship that were like different relationships you had to like, you know, anything you'd known at the time. So it was like these new worlds opening for all of us, you know. So it was a very like pure, inspiring kind of time, you know, it gave a lot of energy and, and yeah, and, and made me want to give energy. And then we sort of seeing the Sangha grow from there. I'd like to read a passage from Friends on the Path by Thich Nhat Hanh. Alone, we are vulnerable, but with brothers and sisters to work with, we can support each other. We cannot go to the ocean as a drop of water. We would evaporate before reaching our destination. But if we become a river, if we go as a Sangha, we are sure to arrive at the ocean. Taking refuge in a Sangha will allow the Sangha to carry us, to transport us, and we will suffer less. A true Sangha is a community that practices the teaching of liberation and becomes free. A true Sangha practices the teaching of understanding and becomes more understanding. A true Sangha practices compassion and becomes more compassionate. Climbing the hill of the 21st century can be very joyful if we climb as a Sangha. If we support each other, we become much stronger and we can more easily resist the temptation of despair. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Wake Up London podcast. If you're interested in getting involved, if you'd like to do a reading, you'd like to make a sharing, you've got ideas for future episodes, or you have music you'd like to suggest, then please get in touch. You can go to wakeuplondon.org forward slash podcast. If you go there at the moment, you'll notice the site is under maintenance. We have a new website which will be released in the next few days. But there are links there to our social media platforms. When you get through to the page, you can also donate there. The podcast, like other Wake Up Projects, is possible because of donations. There's a button on the page. Take care. Seeds for new communities. It's time to wake up.
spirit growing bigger. Keep flowing in this river. Believe in yourself. Let your heart be your guide. You could use your suffering to grow your heart wide. There is more wonder in the world than you can see. To your path. You don't have to see how be compassionate and kind to your body and your mind. Practice patience. It takes effort and time.